Greetings listeners and welcome to another episode of The Story Never Ends, the podcast where we reread our favorite podcasts and watch their adaptations. I'm Audrey. And I'm Tanasha. And last episode we discussed the film adaptation of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, which is the fourth film in the Harry Potter series. And in this episode we discuss the fifth book, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. We will share our thoughts on the book, including what we liked, what we didn't like, what surprised us, and some extra little things we think are worthy of mentioning. But um, we do have a couple of things to discuss in the interim. So we will be just pretty much doing some news and some what what we've been up to kind of like, you know, thing that we'll be talking about just so that people can know why we haven't recorded for so long in this Harry Potter discussion that we've been doing. So Tinashe, what have you been up to before? Um, yeah, leading up to today. <laughs> work. And since Goblet of Fire film. Um, it's taken us a long time to actually finish reading um, Out of the Phoenix. Yep. It's. I think for me, it was a mixture of uh, finding other things to read. I was in fan fiction world. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> what fed world and then just work and just other things. Yeah. That's, although we, we've given ourselves, how many deadlines? I think two or three deadlines. Yeah, now. yeah, we Not had. We had, yeah. And we still could not do it. Because the book is so, it, actually, if you look at the thickness of it, it's not that really thick, thick. But the content in it is a lot. Yes. Yes, it's a lot. It, it, you need to like yeah. absorb it. If you're analyzing it, you need to take time to absorb it. You can't just breeze through it. That's the yeah, problem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's me too. Can you tell us, Audrey, about your Dramioni? I'm very obsessed. Yeah, I'll get into it more actually at the end when we sort of talk about um ships and stuff within the book and whatever. But I definitely was caught up in a Draco and Hermione fan fiction land and I was just so I couldn't even read a normal book, so just thinking, oh, I just want that fix of Draco and Hermione again. I just want that fix wow. of Draco. And, and I think it's like um, the way the writers have taken this story and just these, these two characters who, in canon, you honestly wouldn't even really want them to be together based on the things we see. Which is why I'm concerned when you're saying that you're going to be discussing them when we discuss No, 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 not as a ship. I'm just saying as in when we discuss... Um, the shipping element, I'll be discussing a bit more as to why I have them as a problematic yes, <laughs> but yes. head cannon once repairing. <laughs> OTP. But no, yes, I was caught up in fan fiction. Land. You mean crack shipping? Yeah. But they're still my once repairing. <laughs> crack ship once repairing. All these people that don't know anything, I'm like, what? Anyway, um, but then yeah, I did watch a couple of films as well. We talked about Eternals. You know, for those that don't know, we posted other episodes for the other films that we've been watching recently. One of them being Eternals and also The Harder They Fall. I think I mentioned that to you. That's another film that I oh, yes. I'm was in watching. The, I haven't finished. I started watching it yesterday before continuing on with the book. Uh, so I've seen a little bit. Yeah. Mm, mm. But yeah. yeah, that's pretty much in working. Yeah. But fan fiction was what stopped me to finish for that other deadline that we have. And I, yeah, it was, it was a lot. I've been trying to wean myself off, but it's very difficult. I actually am starting a new one right now. (laughs) And all I can say to you is, ma'am, how far with the other one? Yeah, no, don't don't worry about that yet. We don't let anybody on this platform know about that. That's a, that's a, that's a, yeah, that's a, you know, yeah. (laughs) Okay. But it's okay. I will 
that one I'll get back to you. Trust me, I'll get back to you. Even I've been disappointed in myself. But anyway, we digress. Now let's talk about some news in the general Harry Potter world. Something that I came across was Cursed Child related. So not really kind of you know uh, the original uh, series, but two things. First of all, the Melbourne show, which is where Cursed Child has pretty much been showing in Australia for the majority that of its run, is um lowering or shortening its time. I think it used to be like a two-part experience, but they're just going to make it into yeah. one part. And I just, yeah, I actually want, would want to check it out before they change the format because I just want to. It's not a story that I'm interested in, but people that have gone and I've talked to have said it's a great experience to be a part of. Like they make it very immersive to the story. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's quite interesting. But also Chris Columbus has come out, the director of the first and the second film, saying I kind of want to direct uh, Cursed Child with the original Casts, which is Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Rupert ah. Grint as the new parents, and that will be very, very interesting to see. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. To see what happens. Although, if he does that, that'll be taking away from the Hermione of it all because Hermione was played in this conception as an African um, or black act, uh, actor yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, character. Sorry, so yeah. that might be the only maybe change that might be like, oh, okay. But I still, I think it's like a spec type thing he was doing is like a interview but he mentions it just to see what people react and say because probably you know, yeah because yeah. before remember they I, did I that whole... the message that you sent but i hadn't had a chance to properly look at it yeah um, because i was still reading um but yeah my confusion is why they're not they're just showing it in melbourne and not um showing here in sydney yeah i, I don't know Sydney being also one of the biggest cities in in uh, in Australia, yeah. yeah so yeah. I'm not sure why, but yeah, that's pretty much. You'd have to fly down to Melbourne to go and watch it. So Melbourne, yeah. I might yeah. see if I'm bothered to actually fly down to Melbourne to go and see. You never know. But I do want it's, to I see. I think it's still showing. It is still showing until March 2022. They'll be doing the two part version. Uh-huh. Then after that, oh. they'll still be showing it, but as a one part version. Okay. So we'll see. But the story enough is not compelling enough. Sorry. The story itself is not compelling enough for me to be like, yeah, I want to go see it. But the theater experience from what I've, you know, experienced it before, it can be very immersive. And this one apparently is quite immersive with the the spells and all that stuff. They do it quite well. Yeah. 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 But yeah, otherwise we will be coming back shortly to start discussing the order of the Phoenix. Don't mention it, okay? It was supposed to be a transition jingle, so don't you dare mention it, Tinashe. No, that's not, that's not even it. Uh-huh. I can't even hear it. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, I'll have to edit this part out. Actually, I'll, yeah, because I don't know what's going on with your audio, but either way, I played something and it played, so whatever. <laughs> so now, Tinashe, can you give our listeners a refresher of the plot of Order of the Phoenix? <laughs> I'm gonna read the synopsis that uh, Audrey sent me. Um, so it says, Harry Potter is stuck with the Dursleys in Privet Drive for a long hot summer. Sirius Black has told him to lie low, but how can he when the darkest wizard in the history is gathering strength and the wizarding authorities seem unwilling to do anything about it? Harry knows that Voldemort's dark forces will find him wherever he is. Two Dementors soon bring that death. Two Dementors uh, soon bring that death called breath. Damn, that rhymes. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> Leave it to JKR. Uh, uh, Breath to Little Winging, and Harry uses magic to save his cousin Dudley's life. Expelled from Hogwarts and accused of legal magical activity, Harry discovers the secret domain of the Order of the Phoenix and that maybe he's not alone in this battle after all. Alone. That's a funny word to say, considering how much he feels alone throughout the I whole literally book. just realized like, this synopsis can be very, is very misleading because it's, we are alone for most of this freaking book. But anyway, we'll yes, get into it. Yes. So what are your general thoughts about the book? Uh, just three very short general thoughts. Um, one, how does my book still look so brand new? And because <laughs> I read it through, ended up reading the story through uh, Audible. It still looks brand <laughs> like it's never been opened. Um, secondly, Effin Dumbledore. There were moments where I was like, yay, Dumbledore, and I will talk about them. But throughout the whole book, you can see how much so many things could have been uh, prevented, perhaps if it just had, just had been a little bit more open. And then lastly, I wanted Harry to use his smarts a little bit more. Yeah. Okay, that's very interesting because a lot of people say or think that movie Harry is the one that's not as smart. But we'll d- dive into that a little bit more. I guess my general thoughts, I just generally loved it. But yes. it is a very emotional roller coaster. Like, very, very, yeah, every two seconds. And then, yeah. But obviously, I love the continuing world building. We get to new, have new settings. We have to get to have new characters. You know, it's never alienating in its introduction of new things. It's always something that leads to the next thing. Um, yes. But it does take some time as well to get into the meat of the story, which is why I think we struggled the first 10 or yes, so that, chapters. That, that too, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're set away from Hogwarts. We only, until we yes. get to Luna Lovegood's chapter, chapter 10, that's when we go back to Hogwarts. So the story does not, that it takes time to move, but it just, getting into the meat of what's going on is kind of what yes. took some time yeah. for me to get into. But I really, um, I emphasize the emotional roller coaster thing by saying I really would not have wanted Ron to be Ron or Hermione in this particular year as Harry's friend because boy was he just a freaking brat. Like every second comment is, Why are you saying that? Why are you doing it? Who are you doing? And Hermione's like, Can you not? Can you not? So. That's all. Hell down, Harry. <laughs> Seriously, I I know a lot of people have had problem with caps lock Harry, as we have all known, come to know him in the fandom. But yes. I do love him because he's a representation of what he's going through. He's frustrated, yeah. Dumbledore. You've said yeah. everything around him is just not turning out to be. Well, but we'll get into that. But that's the general thought that I would not have wanted to be Ron or Hermione with Harry at this particular year. <sighs> like they were walking on eggshells around him literally. and I think at one point in time Hermione even says like stop <laughs> literally like what are you stop. doing to us yeah. but yeah. then um, yeah. I like that the point highlights the book story highlights the point you made Tinashe which ties to your Dumbledore point which we'll get into but you mm-hmm. pay, made this point in our uh, Prison of Azkaban recording where you're like there's something that when a book has that whole thing where a loved one is being pro- lied to to protect them in quotation yeah. marks like that's pretty much Dumbledore saying all of that justifications he was trying to say. Like so, that trope was just magnified in this book in such a, yeah. Yeah. And to a detrimental extent as well. And then yeah. also, yeah. but finally the stuff that was omitted in the 
films is crazy based on the book we read. Like there are chapters, like whole chapters. I have a little sticky note I wrote of like at least six or seven chapters that I was like, oh, scenes that were like just not in the film at all or not addressed at all to make the story make sense. So it's like, yeah. how could you do this? So touch on it more when I talk about the film, but just thought it was very interesting that all of, like, especially when there were that initial 10 chapters, someone could say, yeah, you can easily get rid of that. But there was so much detail covered in that, that just, I don't remember ever coming across in the film. Honestly, and, they could say goodbye to the 10 chapters, but what even they ended up putting in, that's not in the, I mean, whatever they ended up putting in the film still did not cover what was, what we said was the meat yeah, of the story. Exactly. Yeah. That's true. That's true. But yeah, those are my general thoughts. So I guess now, I guess we'll be going on a chapter-by-chapter analysis. I think we've both taken our notes similarly like that. So, yeah, we'll just be getting into, I guess, chapter one and talking our points there. And, yeah, you can can go off. Uh, So my first point was about uh, just the description of Harry in the the first chapter, on the first page, which made made him sound like a a homeless person. So I'll actually read it. so on page one, the chapter one, Dudley Demented is the name of the chapter. It says, he was a skinny, black-haired, bespectacled boy who had the pinched, slightly unhealthy look of someone who has grown a lot in a short space of time. His jeans were torn and dirty, dirty. his t-shirt baggy and faded, and the soles of his trainers were peeling away from, his, from the uppers. This boy has been in the wizarding world for over four to five years, right? Yeah. He knows that he's got money. Uh, <laughs> he can ask someone to repair whatever <laughs> clothes he has. If uh, no, no, he can repair these clothes whilst he's at school if he really doesn't want to buy any clothes. Why is he like he That's has true. money that he? That's he can true. provide for himself. So why why is he like this? Oh wow! <laughs> I didn't even realize that's a big oversight on JKR's part, eh? Like, why 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 is he like like that? Imagine how the Dursleys would have felt if he had come home and he's in this clean looking clothes. They're not there are no holes in them. He's wearing clothes that fit and everything. They would have. Oh, perhaps that's why. Be, yeah, that is true. Yeah. They would have been. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's a really, really good point. Well, he's still looking homeless. <laughs> that is very, very true. That is very, very true. Yes. But I mean, you you pretty much from there, then you kind of start already emphasizing the isolation. He's outside yeah. of the living area trying to scope out for news. It's very weird. And I like how, you know, like you said, it starts him off at private drive. We have, I think the last one we didn't start at private drive. He was in, at he was at private drive, but it starts off with what's his name? The, the Voldemort chapter. So that was a different chapter altogether. So yes, I sort of kind of yeah. liked the, the bringing back to, to Privet Drive. and Almost like a cold opening, if that's what a cold opening yes, is. Yes, 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 that's true. And in this one, I like that the emphasis of isolation and change and everything's already being emphasized by the heat and the drought. Like it's not a normal yes. thing. Something is up. Yep. So, yeah, yes. yeah. It's very yeah. interesting. Um, and then we'll move on to, uh, so he's listening to the news. Mm. Uh, he's been listening news throughout the whole year um i mean throughout the holidays because he's trying to hear if there's any news of Voldemort happening and um so he's found different ways to listen to it because uncle Fernando keeps on catching him trying mm. to listen to the news so in this um there's a moment in the first chapter where he is hiding under the um 
the window and so when he gets up because there's a sound that happens and he gets up and hits his head on the top of the window at the bottom of the window and uncle Vernon he's hears him so like he's manhandling Harry <laughs> uh, because he had taken his wand out and the way he's described it's like two large purple hands I'm like hey Thanos <laughs> reached through the open window and closed tightly around his throat excuse me mm. <laughs> what kind of abuse is this and then um he says Harry's head uh which was already painful because he banged it on the window um and so he said gave a particular nasty throb uncle Vernon yelped and released Harry as though he had received an electric shot shock some invisible force seemed to have searched through his nephew, making him impossible to hold. My question was, was that accidental magic due to Harry trying to fight him off or a combination of that and the Horcruxes? Yeah, that's right. I don't know, actually. That's right. I didn't really analyze that. But I suppose I would say it's accidental magic. I would say because the Horcrux working, perhaps the anger, but... I don't know. I can't say to be honest, but I think I would yeah, lean like, more well, towards the that? accidental yeah. magic of like self-preservation. He's just trying to protect yeah. himself, so he yeah. acts out and like any wizard that sometimes loses control, they just lose too much control, and that's what yeah. happens. Yeah, yeah. But I think adding to that, I like that he's so desperate for the news of the wizarding world, which kind of harks back or brings us back to that cha- chamber of secrets scenario where his friends went writing to him. But the worst part is his friends are writing to him, but they're telling him, we can't tell you anything. You just have to sit anything. tight. Yeah. So it's, yeah. and also he, he's desperate for wizarding world news of some sort, or even the muggle to be re- muggle news to be reporting some strange activity because he knows the threat that has come. So already we're starting off going, wait, we know in book four that, Fudge was being hesitant to tell the wizarding world, but is it to this extent? We Voldemort is back. Why is there no, you know, Muggle news going? You know, Tom Riddle is blah blah blah. You know, like something like that. But like the level of rich that Fudge and his people, um, the level of rich that they did in this book to not believe or to hide the news of Voldemort returning, despite all the evidence to the contrary despite all the signs that <laughs> later on even when the um, death eaters are rescued from Azkaban mm. this man says Sirius Black is um uh, like yes honestly yes that's so true so true yeah. they they vary yeah. and I think yeah so that's I think I just had that point that like the ministry you can already tell something is up with the ministry not allowing this news to be out because they would have under normal circumstances, just like they did for Sirius. Yeah. You know, yeah. mass news releases and stuff like that. So, yeah. But I think for me, more onto Harry's character as well, just the general moodiness you can feel in the in the chapter. Like, just, yeah. he's saying or thinking certain things about his friends. Like, why are they getting to be together? And I'm not there. And I'm the one that has faced a lot of things. Why aren't I there? Like, you're like, Harry, where are these thoughts coming from? You know, but he's very sassy. He's more frustrated. He's hopeless. So it's just feeding into, and you're right. I guess the Horcrux part of him, which is the connection to Voldemort. It's just feeding all the negative energy. So it's probably know. feeding onto it. Yeah, yeah. 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 And speaking to that, um, like, but we're talking about him feeling alone um, 
and that sense of abandonment and disconnectedness he was already feeling with the wizarding world mm. um there's a line in on page 13 that says um like Ron and hermione telling him sending messages that you know uh they're helping with something mm-hmm. but they can't tell him the stuff happening but they can't tell him um so Ron and Hermione say that they are busy and so Harry's like and what were Ron and Hermione busy with why wasn't he Harry busy hadn't he proved himself capable of handling much more than them had they all forgotten what he had done hadn't it been he who had entered the graveyard that graveyard and watched Cedric being murdered and then tied to that tombstone nearly killed and I'm like it is true. Like, I, I don't think you can view his attitude as him being arrogant, but more so by him just speaking facts. He experienced that, and he's the one being kept in the dark. And honestly, the fact that he's being kept in the dark is one of my biggest gripes with Dumbledore mm. throughout this whole book. Because the fact that Dumbledore keeps him in the dark, um, especially when they go to the um, the hearing, mm-hmm. the, Dumbledore is not making any eye contact with him. That feeling of being disconnected from Dumbledore yeah. as well fits into a lot of Harry's behavior throughout the whole. Book. Pretty much, pretty yeah. much. But I, to what extent do you think then this? Because I remember Phineas Nigelus, whatever his name, Nigelus, Nigelus yes, Black. Yes, yes. PNB is what I, I, I'm initializing him as. He makes a good point to the fact that was he. To what extent though does Harry's desire to want to know some of this stuff, or at least his impatience to say, I should know this stuff, right? Like, it's not, yes, not so yes. much what Dumbledore is withholding, but with, yes. with Harry and with Hermione and Ron's situation, for example, to what extent could that be potentially just like a sense of entitlement that as a teenager you feel? You're entitled to whatever you think you should get. Like, you know. He- well, that tantrum in the <laughs> at the end, I suppose, speaks to that as well, yeah. like that entitlement. But I'm like, doesn't he deserve it? Because Dumbledore admits that he felt like he should have told Harry in the first year about what yeah. was happening. Yeah. And then he held off because it was like he's too young. The flow Second in the plan. Year, yeah. Same thing. So if he hadn't felt like he was too young in, in first year, he probably would have told him. That's true. But yeah. yeah. But for me, I think it's small in the sense that, yes, he's definitely not being arrogant. He's done those things. But the Harry we know wouldn't do it in such a way to say, but I've done that and they haven't kind of thing, which is what makes this one more jarring in the sense that you're not looking at it as from an analysis perspective. He's a teenager. He's supposed to think those things. He's yes. hormonal. He's yeah. whatever. But then you're also like, well, something isn't right with Harry. Why is he thinking these thoughts? Yes, that you know? is true. That so is then true that starts yeah, spiraling a little bit. I think at the beginning, as you're saying, like, I, I, I kind of defend him, like his behavior. And, and then as the book progresses and he has this outburst about, you know, uh, why am I not being told these things? Or um, have they not seen my contribution? I'm the one it's happening to and stuff. And the way he jumps at uh, Ron and Hermione's throats, even though they're on his side. Yeah. 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 That's true. That's true. But I think for me, the, the just final couple, as much as I could want to go into detail about the Dementor attack or whatever, it's pretty much was, we know about the Dementor attack from, you know, the films and stuff. It really made it quite a visual image. But I think he's going, speaking more to his moodiness and frustrations, that fight with Dudley was just him spoiling for a fight because he just wanted to take Ooh, out his frustration. That was hilarious. With else. That was hilarious. He just to, and otherwise for me, the wondrous magic moment as well, where he's in a moment of crisis, kind of reminiscent to when 
uh, his uncle chokes him because, you know, he's under a moment of stress. So he's able to locate his wand without even like saying, come here, wand or whatever. Just thought that was quite interesting. Uh, and then also my big question was the Dementors, the way they're described and the way the movie conceives them has really tripped me up because the, the book just describes them as these things that can still move. And they have some kind of hand thing and whatever, but I'm like, the movie doesn't make it seem like that. So I don't know who which design is, but I want to compare it when we watch the film. So yeah, that's been my most, most of my points. I've been trying to connect this current pair. Um, so um, my other points that I had was just the strangeness of Harry discussing the wizarding world with, uh, with the Dursleys. Like for once, they actually wanted to know mm-hmm. Uh, and mainly because uh, because uh, Dudley was behaving strangely, and they were accusing Harry of attacking attacking Dudley. Um, but the fact that uh, Auntie Petunia as well uh, legitimizes, I think, to Venom that Dementors are real, and and her recognition of what Voldemort Voldemort being back meant. Yeah. And for a moment, she and Harry are like united with the connection of what that knowledge means. Mm. And I really enjoyed that part. That's true. I really enjoyed that moment as well. That's true. And when the howler comes in as well, and Dumbledore's voice is like, remember my last Petunia and everything, her recognizing that and immediately saying, no, Harry's not going anywhere. Um, that was that was a very strange but beautiful moment between him and the Desert. not because it was sweet or anything, but just the strangeness of how, for a moment, their worlds were like uh, meshed together like yep. that. Yeah, yeah. because their when son had been like hearing anything about the wizarding world. That's true. That's true. I think for me, really, that chapter you've pretty much touched on everything that happens in that chapter. In the 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 owls, just the fact which for me, I think the biggest question I had with the owls coming in was how fast do these owls fly? Is there an express <laughs> post? Because all other owls seem to take ages to get from place to place. So. When they hear about Harry's, I'm guessing wherever Harry and Dudley would have been would be like a 20-minute walk maybe from home. When mm. they hear when they hear that then Harry's getting expelled, by the time he gets home and gets that owl, has that owl already been tra- in transit for the last 20 minutes? Or what is going on? I just thought it was so funny. The quick progression of like hours coming just got me this question. Like, mm, or was the ministry this? already focused on whatever Harry was doing that who Actually, and, and it was dodgy as well. Like, maybe they'd already sent all those, um, Dolores had already put into place all those the things expulsion. to start happening. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, but, and then also, obviously, you're questioning about why are the Dementors out? Because at this point, we don't know Umbridge has released them. We're just wondering. Yes. How yes. could there be Dementors in Little Winging? And that's how that's Madam true. Susan Burns says, Dementors <laughs> yes. in Little Winging from the film. <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, I think for me... Yeah, that's all I pretty much had, like in regards mm. to the chapter with the Dursleys or the yeah the interaction with the Dursleys, I should say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we move on to the meeting with uh, Harry meeting and if Adora, Tonks and Kingsley Shackleford, mm-hmm. uh, re- reuniting with Brahma Lupin and the real Medai Moody. And as a side note, I've actually read uh, a fanfic with Tonks and Harry as a couple, <sighs> but this. is... No, no, this is when he's finished. Uh, no, no, it's not about uh, now. Oh, okay. I'm just <laughs> uh, yes. And they actually worked. Harry is actually 
in a relationship with Tonks and um, with in, with Tonks first, and this is when he's doing his aura training, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then uh, after that he's in a relationship with uh, he breaks up with Tonks, and then he's with ooh, with Ginny. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so you've read a Harry Ginny fanfic? You, I couldn't help it. Like it was already in there. The main part of the story is that. Snape adopts Harry. <laughs> this story is already becoming weirder and weirder, but <laughs> I do know you it love your Harry and Snape redemption. It must be the Snape of, from TV version ah. because those two people are two different people, definitely. Very true. Uh, I think even the Draco, I see a lot of it is based on Tom Felton's portrayal of Draco, like yes. rather than Draco, the character in the books. Because Ooh, even Tom uh-huh. Felton is never made to be as mean as he is in the books. So yes, it's really yes. like, yeah. Anyway, just digressing. Oh, I can't wait to that. get to uh, the meanness of the Slytherins this season, this year. So I was thinking about the, when I was reading the part where uh, they pick Harry up, um, uh, Kingsley and uh, Medi Mood and Tonks and the other people and that taking that broom right back to headquarters. And it just reminded me back Reminded me of book seven mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. he's picked up again, and I really felt some type of way bittersweet knowing like the people or how events would turn out in that book. That's true. Yeah, That's yeah. true. It's it's very much a precursor to what's going to happen in book seven. Yes, like the amount of foreshadowing that she does, uh, J.K. Like um, to think that this will have this scene again in book seven. Yeah. 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 No, that's very true. Yeah, yeah. That's very true. Um, I don't know, so did you have any more comments on that particular, like, chapter? I don't know. It was just, like, a throwaway comment that, you know, just, um, I love that moment. Um, but then we move on to when Harry is now back at uh, Grimoire Place. Not back, at Grimoire Place. Yeah, for he's his, there. For the first time, yeah. yeah. Actually, before you go there, the Fidelius charm, Fidel- Fidelius or Fidelius, whichever way yeah. it might be pronounced. Because um, that's always brought up a lot when you read fan fiction. You know, there'll be some setting of like the Fidelius charm being used or something like that sometimes. And so, yeah, what is your like understanding of it in terms of like how it's because you know how Harry gets there and he's given a note by Mad Eye Moody and he's like, yes. read it, yeah. like whatever. Yeah. And you know, essentially that's the way the secret keeping works. Like, yes, yeah. yeah. What, like, do you have like Especially any comments in on the, that? In the seventh book as well. Yeah. Um, do you mean in terms of uh, how, because I'm assuming everybody in that group went through this process. Therefore, yeah. it was for Harry to do because he had never been there so that to include him in the secret yeah, of yeah. the secret keeping of the place so that he would be able to see the house and access it. Yeah, because yeah. some fanfics that I read either have someone repeating it back to the person as in the person uh, will be like, say, number 12, Grimoire Place, blah, 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 blah. And they'll say it. And then that's how they get passage or gain passage to see or be or enter in the in yeah. the space. Others like that, they give the note or whatever. And I guess what I find interesting about it is as a form of like protection, it's quite powerful yeah. in the sense that if you think of how serious, if Lupin had only really thought about, okay, perhaps it's a sense of I'm thinking Lupin this whole time would have thought, for example, that Sirius gave away Harry and I mean James and, and Lily and Diddy, like for yes. the thing yeah. that happened. Um yeah. the secret keeper. But if perhaps it was a what do you call it when they're trying to trick someone? Like if it was a trick for 
people to think it's serious instead of Peter so that the Dark Lord can come after Sirius instead of Peter, yeah. then I would have thought Lupin should have sort of been in the loop about that to not be sounding freaking <laughs> <laughs> like Pun JK. JK is very good at that as well. But, yeah. um, you know, you would have thought like he would be in the loop so that he doesn't get this like thing. You could see like, oh, you know, his best friend sold out. His friends. Yes, I don't know. Maybe yes, he didn't. Yes. He just wasn't explored enough in the in the series too. I, I would love to read some fanfics that might touch on things like that because you yes, kind of want to yes, know the meta. Because yeah, the fidelity just kind of interests me because I'm like, here you've got one person who knows this secret, and only they can disclose the secret. Everybody else can yeah. know about Number Twelve Grimoire Place, but even if they were tortured under duress, they could never. Ooh, you know, give you made me think. What you're saying that um, so the person who's able to share the secret, you can't just, anyone can't just share the secret. Okay. Mm-hmm. Therefore, mm-hmm. that's why he need. that's probably a note from Sirius to Harry. Pretty so much. that's the only way the secret can be shared. Yes. Of the uh, hidden, hidden yeah. place or hidden whatever yeah. it is. So I'm guessing if you were to, would this be the case that if Sirius doesn't write that, does anyone yeah. else see that? Like, isn't probably if, not. Yeah, I'll be interested probably to know. Not. Unless people who are already in on the, who have been, um, who know the secret. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like as in they can see the paper and be like, they okay, can that's see, They 12. can see what's written on the paper it, is what I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. true. It's like sort of like a forget me not charm as well. Put it on yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's that. So yeah. On to Grimold Place, you know. I mean. Yeah. For me, yeah. I think I've, I found interesting before you even talk about the house when he mm-hmm. mentions Mrs. Weasley and her state, her physical state. Yeah. Um, she's thinner, she's paler, and it's really just a sign of the trouble. T- like, I just felt like that was JKR indicating the chimes are changing. Something isn't right. And then you find out about Percy, you find out about you know, wow. everybody in the family really being in the order. about Percy's betrayal. <laughs> he's very much a sycophant, so I'm not surprised. Nah. I'm sad yeah. that he's like yeah. Um, yeah. like that. Although I do have a point later. I don't know if it's going to be now or later on about something uh, because about... Because Mission Percy actually have written mm. are we really surprised by Percy's betrayal? Mm-hmm. Like, no. <laughs> I, it wasn't I so much not. even about Percy's betrayal, but Mrs. Weasley's parenting. Some people have criticized her parenting. Can you imagine? Like oh, they've okay. been like, oh, you know, Percy was it was inevitable for Percy to be the way he was because Mrs. Weasley and the way she treats her kids or favorites her kids or something. I don't know. There was something and I was like, mm, that's a very interesting take. I saw this on Twitter, but I was like, mm, I don't know if I agree who with that. Who does she she seems to love them all? That's the thing, in her own way. Like she she might pick on certain things about them, like, you know, the twins yeah. stop doing this, but she loves her kids. Like that's why she, when that bogger yeah. comes along later on anyway. But then it's like, that thing that no matter how good of a parent you are like if sometimes your personality might clash with your child's personality Very true. and you've got to find words to be able to communicate or yeah. express your love for, yeah. for them or, or how it yeah. Yeah, comes across. And you see, yeah. that's why <laughs> that painting, that drawing, whatever that I showed you of Percy in like that more handsome looking. Ah, yeah. That is cemented by a fanfic that I'm reading on Draco and Hermione, but it's yeah. got all these characters in like their adult state and they're all mature. And Percy's like this really mature guy. I'm like, I mean, I read, I don't even read Percy from the book. I just read him as a version that has grown into himself later in life. And it's like yeah. so jarring to be like, people can take this character who in canon really didn't have a very good, like, you know, personality and stuff. Yeah. But then, 
they take him and redeem him to be something else. So yeah, it's quite interesting. He can be quite a very complex character because what's wrong with being a go getter, going, uh, working hard, and uh, you know, achieving your goals. That's true. Whatever that be, it can be admirable. But I suppose we. The way the narrative goes is that we're on the side of the Weasley family. Mm. Um, in this time in particular, it, he should be more supportive or understanding of his family, no mm. matter what his ambitions are. That's true. Um, but he, I suppose the way JK writes these characters, he takes them to the extreme. Yeah. The way the Slytherins are to the extreme, the Gryffindor, especially when I think about at the end where McGonagall like gives the uh, Harry and Cole points for going to, to, to the, to the, what do you call it? <laughs> ministry to save yeah, them, yeah. Blah, 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 to save uh, the property <laughs> and all that stuff. And he was not supposed to do that. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, but in that so moment, yeah. It's very, sometimes black and white. Which is why I like reading fan fiction sometimes when they explore that those gray areas as Very well. True. Like it's not that easy. Not, you can't just say they're slithering, therefore they're bad. That's yeah. true. And That's they're true. not redeemable and stuff like that. That's yeah. true. Yeah, that yeah. redemption. Yeah. And I guess but if for the most part that that chap that the, the Grimoire place is, is a reunion that's bittersweet for Harry in some ways. Absolutely. And my boy is angry. He is, you know, like that's why it took me so long to get through those chapters because there was just yeah. so much anger in the chapters that yes, opened yes. the book. Like, like it's just, he's just seething and it's just like, you know, whatever words that someone says that might trigger him is quick literally. to just, This is literally yeah, Caps Lock Harry being activated. When you were yeah. mentioning before about Cap- <laughs> this is the chapter Caps Lock Harry is activated. <laughs> For me, it baffles me because I can never remember in the film him unleashing yes. like that. I yeah. don't remember him unleashing like that. Very few moments in the film does he unleash. And I, you can't, you don't understand why, because this guy would have been under so much stress. He's been yeah. literally, not possessed even, he's he's like literally in two people's minds and yes. oh, yes. it's a yeah. whole mess. Yeah. Yeah. So what I actually said about this chap, um, his moment in Cribble Plus, especially when when he's with um, uh, the other half of the trio. Uh, So uh, Hermione easily predicted that Harry would do something stupid if they continue to keep in the dark. And like that is some level of foreshadowing what will happen later. Yes, definitely. Um, And And is Hermione not a prophet in this bloody book? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I think this is my favorite Hermione book. Me too. Me too. This is my favorite Hermione. Book. The way she thinks, her analytical skills. Wow. The way she wow. just like introspects. And you don't even, because the thing is, we're not even getting it from Hermione's point of view. We're seeing what she's saying to Harry, but then the introspection that comes through the way she's talking to Harry. Yeah. Yes. That's why I love reading fan fiction about her. No, that's not why I love that. Just the way her. she understands magic. It's not the same way that Harry or Ron understand it, yeah. but she's got that. Uh, intuitive understanding of and she's smart about you know protecting harry and uh everybody else uh when they form that dumbledore's army group yes like the way she's she, also oh, sneaky as well very so vindictive well. very yeah. vindictive <laughs> yeah yes 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 um, right. anyway, sorry continue your point and also the continu- continuing theme of dumbledore making the people around harry continue to keep secrets or hide information from him like the fact that everyone had known that he was being followed 
except yeah. him. Mm. Harry's anger, the widening chasm between Harry and Dumbledore, the more he learns the lens that Dumbledore had gone to keep him in the dark. And I've got um, something on Audible. It's a bit long. I think it's like almost like two minutes. <laughs> uh, but it, it is what it is. Before you do play it, though, I was going to quickly yeah. say, when you mentioned the Dumbledore thing, Harry yes. does point out and say, he could have communicated by other ways. Like Dumbledore is so smart that he has other ways. Cause the one of the Absolutely. excuses that Hermione or Ron uses is like, Oh, Dumbledore didn't want to communicate with you by owl. But mm. Harry's mm. like, he's a smart man. He could have communicated. He could have had the Dursley's fire uh, pit, whatever connected by flu. If he wanted to yes. communicate, yes. nobody would have none, been none the wiser because he's one of the most powerful wizards. If not the most powerful wizard in Britain, seriously, you know how later, how, um, what's his name? Uh, Sirius gives Harry the uh, two-way mirror. Mm-hmm. Are you telling me that Dumbledore doesn't have access to things like that? Exactly. You know, it's it's very much, you can see the machinations of, and that Dumbledore, I love and just cannot stand this man in this book. Like, Oh my God, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about him in this book. I'm just like, but I guess your, chap, your, your excerpt is going to cover some of the stuff and then I'll have a question for you after you play the clip. But yeah, anyway, you okay. go, you roll the clip. So why is Dumbledore so keen to keep me in the dark? Harry asked, still trying hard to keep his voice casual. Did you um, bother to ask him at all? He glanced out just in time to see them exchanging a look that told him he was behaving just as they had feared he would. It did nothing to improve his temper. We told Dumbledore we wanted to tell you what was going on said Ron. We did, mate, but he's really busy now. We've only seen him twice since we came here, and he didn't have much time. He just made us swear not to tell you important stuff when we wrote. He said the owls might be intercepted. He could still have kept me informed if he'd wanted to, Harry said shortly. You're not telling me he doesn't know ways to send messages without owls. Hermione glanced at Ron and then said, I thought that too, but he didn't want you to know anything. Maybe he thinks I can't be trusted, said Harry, watching their expressions. Don't be thick, said Ron, looking highly disconcerted. Or that I can't take care of myself. Of course he doesn't think that, said Hermione anxiously. So how come I have to stay at the Dursleys while you two get to join in everything that's going on here, said Harry, the words tumbling over one another in a rush, his voice growing louder with every word. How come you two are allowed to know everything that's going on? We're not, Ron interrupted. Mum won't let us near the meeting. She says we're too young. But before he knew it, Harry was shouting. So you haven't been in the meetings. Big deal. You've still been here, haven't you? You've still been together. Me, I've been stuck at the Dursleys for a month and I've handled more than you two have ever managed and Dumbledore knows it. Who saved the Philosopher's Stone? Who got rid of Riddle? Who saved both your skins from the Dementors? Every bitter and resentful thought Harry had had in the past month was pouring out of him. His frustration at the lack of news, the hurt that they had all been together without him, his fury at being followed and not told about it, all the feelings he was half ashamed of finally burst their boundaries. Hedwig took... So I'm like... So I'm like, Harry is just a ticking 
emphasis on her being a ticking time bomb. Yeah. Like <laughs> his anger also, I was thinking also maybe his anger is also being amplified. He is angry. He's, he's on his yeah, own. Yeah. He is angry. But I think also the link with Voldemort is might also be amplifying that, uh, that anger. Definitely. Yeah. He's always been a frustrated character, or not frustrated character. He's always been someone who gets easily frustrated if things mm. aren't going his way. But he's being fed into because of the yes. situation yes. with Voldemort. And, you know. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I was yeah. going to ask you, what would you do if you're confronted by Caps Lock Harry? You know, yeah, yes, his anger might be justified, as we were saying. But would you let him speak to you that way? Because, like, as if I was in Ron and Hermione's position, right? I feel like. Dude, we've been with you all the way. Like we are support. We are your friends. It's not like we want you to. Is is anything in our character indicative of in, indicative of us not wanting you to be involved with anything? Very true. Huh. Very true. And I but think, I think it, it they were dealing into, with a very irrational Harry. Very much so. It feeds into something that I read about the narrative style that uh, J.K.R. wrote in, and we've always talked about the voice as in the third person, whatever thing that she she writes in but also yeah. the fact she actually writes in terms of like misdirection of the narrative yeah. so whatever here is thinking we're so into his head that we're like yes he's justified he's angry he's angry and then we find out no that's not the case and that's why that twist at the end works so well when he sees Sirius we've got Hermione being a voice of reason but then we find out the truth that Sirius actually wasn't there but this whole time we're justified in that Sirius is there because we yes. are in Harry's yes. so that narrative yes. misdirection is partly why this anger feeds so well because we're like well you know Mr. Harry Potter, you are very angry, be angry. But then we then sit back. And I think that's the beauty of us doing this analysis. When I was looking at it, there are comments that, for example, Finney, what's his name? Phineas Negulus Black, whatever yeah, the yeah, guy. Yeah. There are comments he makes about entitlement, about, yes. you know, why do you bother with these, you know, young ones, blah, blah, blah. They're also entitled. And those comments, in some ways, is like JKR putting in an hour of, an extra perspective to be like, yes, you might be thinking Harry is justified in being angry, but is he also not just being entitled at that moment? Or is he also just not being arrogant? Or is it? So I, I feel like there's a good balance of like, we are so much in Harry's head, but then there's outside voices just being voiced. And most of those voices are in this case, Hermione, who yeah. plays a very, but there's also another character that I'll highlight later when she becomes more prominent, giving mm. it away already that it's a she character, but mm. she's also seems quite well at like, not letting Harry just like run over her. I think I already whatever. know who. And I, I, I can't help, but I actually like her also in this. Uh, <laughs> in this book, I mean. The way you are so depressed. <laughs> the way you are so depressed at liking a character that I told you, you don't have to like her with Harry, but you have to like her as a character. That's always been my like, argument. On, honestly, I think, yeah, she's coming into her own, yes, honestly. Exactly. Oh, especially when she confronts harry about but we'll get to that yes yeah let's not even for any here reader that's not no reader listen that's not where we're talking about it'd be a nice review when we finally say that's the person anyway but yeah so anything more on like just that initial grim old place um meeting i think i think you were right about um or you mean another stuff that happened i really have like a serious versus mrs weasley moment yes yeah that flows into the order of the phoenix um yes yeah yeah right yeah Yeah, that's true i guess but i think you were right in terms of how um how harry as a teenager Mm -hmm. like we're seeing all those emotions uh all up emotions come out yeah and probably it's how he's been feeling for the past 
some of it seeping into his behavior in the past uh, couple of years, mm. considering mm. the things that have happened. Because he brings up some point uh, later on in the book that, um, I don't know, that's Dumbledore, that you asked me, why is Dumb- why is Voldemort after me? And I thought you were too young and whatnot. And probably subconsciously, Harry is keeping note of there's something that Dumbledore has been hiding from me. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. But he's been so much of the heat. It's a, it's very much a don't like you know don't meet your heroes type moment for Harry. Huh. Like you know yes, yes he's yeah. been looking at Dumbledore like this perfect guy, and then this first time he fully now starts to. And I think that's why I also love book seven. Mm. when we come to the chapter that talks about Dumbledore a lot more yeah. or focuses on Dumbledore a lot more when we get to it, we'll explore it more. But I think that's also another revelation of don't, you know, don't meet, or be careful. Like to, when you're meet, I guess that idea of meeting your heroes and getting this reality check, like, Oh, that's not really don't who I idolize your heroes. Really much. They're just as human as you are. They're yeah. Very much so. Yes. But I think also talking about then um, the order of the Phoenix chapter, it's serious and hairy, very much being, put side by side as being similar in character in terms of them wanting to be in action, wanting to be the heroes of the moment. And that's kind of what brings them together, but also becomes their undoing in some ways. Because by Harry wanting to go save Sirius, who he thinks is in in peril, Sirius goes to save Harry, who he thinks is in peril. And then that cascades the whole thing. But anyway, so you go on about Miss Weasley and uh, Mrs. Weasley and Mr. Sirius Black. Uh, So Sirius, uh, I I tell it's Sirius versus Mrs. Weasley. Like who is who is in the right? Because I feel so. like they both made valid points. I'd actually said I'm with Sirius in, in this one when I read it, right? But later on, later on, especially when they're having the conversation over the flu network, and Sirius says, uh, you're not like your father or something yes. like that. Yeah, yes. yeah. But anyway, speaking on this chapter, um, so the argument about Harry not being informed about what was going on because he was not in the order. Um, but year after year, um, like he was being thrown in the path of uh, whatever Lord Voldemort related or adjacent plots of domination that were happening. So I feel like definitely Sirius was right about him being informed about yes. what was happening. And Miss Weasley, Mrs. Weasley was just trying to control <laughs> everything because these kids have been born into the middle of a war very much so it's that trope again of i'm not gonna tell the way i hate that trope <laughs> to protect your loved, telling one. your loved one about any danger that they might potentially be in to protect them how did that, how did that trope even come to be like who is loving that trope <laughs> that's true but it's a trope that if you think about it women for for a long time we haven't even to this day women are still looked at as this you know pr- to be political for a second but they looked at it we looked at it as these commodities that you can be protecting whilst men go off to war and fight so that, that that's kind of why as well, kind pretty of much yeah it's pretty it's, it's a damsel in distress mentality that just stems yeah. from that perspective that in society there are certain people children women you know people that are might have a disability that we just have to protect because they don't know how to take care of themselves. We sort of giving them the agency to try to, mm. to, to also assist or to try to be in the action and then seeing how much they can help. And yeah, but yeah. anyway, that, yeah. and just sort of tying it to be like that trope honestly really exists because we still look at the damsel in distress trope. It might not have to be a damsel as a woman, but just yeah. a damsel as a person that's looked at as like not having the power to do things for themselves, which is kind of sad. 
I understand wanting to protect children who cannot fully comprehend what the situation is. I think even even I've not watched The Quiet Place. No, I remember that movie with uh, Sandra Bullock. A bird, Quiet Bird. No. Oh yes, something bird, something bird, something bird. Look at how young those kids. Yes, were. but they knew enough about the dangers not to open their eyes, like, you know, having their eyes closed and, like, you know, knowing when danger was around. That little girl uh, pressing the, what you call it, the bell of uh, mm-hmm. bicycle bell so that Sandra Bullock's character could find her. And I'm like, it's just... And even when you think things like uh, Hunger Games and stuff like that, how young those kids are and they're uh, and, uh, uh, taken into this program where they end up killing each other, kids killing each other, yeah. killing, kids killing kids. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I was just saying that um, one of the reasons, above all, like there are reasons why Harry will always be involved in whatever LV-related drama is happening. That's true. That's he true. killed his parents. Uh, Cedric as well died in his presence. Uh, he had himself stopped him for a decade, so Voldemort is always gonna go after him. He is, um, Harry stands for all his triumphs and fa- failures, like you know. So, you know how he was trying to kill him in the graveyard and yeah. he couldn't yeah. do it. Imagine how he thinks the other his followers view him. Yeah. Not being able to kill a freaking... How old was it? 13? 14, 14, yeah. That's 14 in that book, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then when he was younger, a year, freaking year old, yeah. yeah. So he's always going to be involved. Um, What else did I say? Um, So he's definitely number one on Voldemort's death list. And Sirius says he is not a child. And I'm like, yeah, that is true. Uh, but uh, Lily is like he's not an adult either. He no, is Lily not Molly. Yep. Yeah, Molly. <laughs> I said Lily. <laughs> it's okay. Just in case it could be so like, wait, is Lily back in this edition? <laughs> I just did it for you. Oh, please, <laughs> please. But Molly, Molly is like um, he's not an adult either. He is not James. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, and the fact that Sirius has been known to act rashly and hence why Dumbledore keeps reminding him to stay at home, which is another thing, like, yeah, uh, that probably leads him to go and protect Harry when he goes to the, yeah. Very true. Um, and I will continue praising Mr. Weasley um, and Lupin being a champion for keeping Harry informed. Yeah. 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 So what do you think about Molly's, like, coddling AKA protect the ones you love by keeping them in the dark about impending doom and gloom drop. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't necessarily think it was a bad thing because I just thought as yeah. a mother, it's just natural. She could not be in any other No, marriage, I do get where she's you know? coming from. Yeah. I do get where she's yeah. coming from, but especially if she had done that after seeing the, what do they call them? The things that change into the your fear. Yeah. yeah. If she had done that after the book, at all, I would definitely understand where she's coming from. But I suppose these are her children. She's very protective. The fact that Percy is also not in the fold as well. And yeah. I think for me, I, I I highlighted and I said her fierce protection of Harry when she says he's as good as her son. You know, he's, yes. she's not looking at this as just a kid that can go and be sacrificed by Voldemort. She's yes. looking at him as someone that she can 
she she literally has responsibility for and as much as she understands that the children have to be protected hence why when they go to St. Mungo's she's like oh kids go there don't talk about this whatever I understand that I definitely do um because it's frustrating from us as a reader's perspective to be like oh just let him in but if we didn't have him Molly then Harry could just go off and do whatever he wants and the story wouldn't have as much tension or interest in it to be like you know that is true it's really driving this is like sit up your behavior. Kill all the parents <laughs> off. <laughs> you know, but you need the parents. In Harry's story, you need yes. the parents so that they can keep. And yes. I think she's, her and Hermione make a very astute observation. Or well, she makes it first and then Hermione brings it up about serious viewing uh, James, I mean, Harry as James. And it, it, she has to put her foot down because Sirius is viewing Harry as like his, his best friend of 15 years ago. You know, yeah. and it's, it, it's yeah. not the same because this is his best friend's son you know yes. it's it's not you actually his godfatherly duty actually mandates him to protect harry as much as possible mm-hmm. so yes mm-hmm. voldemort the weapon that he's after enticing harry into like oh what is it what is it that's great for the sake of like empowering harry because i definitely think harry needs to be empowered because as you said he's always been in these situations where he's facing Voldemort at like very young ages. Yeah, but as yeah. even he and he highlights, as Harry highlights when he's talking to the DA members in that initial meeting, yeah. he's like, it's luck. Most of it, he just found himself in these situations and he had to spring up. He Until book seven, he had never really had to face Voldemort in a war type situation. This whole time mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. luck, what is it called? Like lucky escapes or inadvertent meetings or encounters in a way that he doesn't expect. But until yeah. he's in book seven, where you like now have to strategize and all that stuff, then it's a bit different. And it's, mm, I mean, if you're mm. bringing up Hunger Games, same type of observation where you're fighting President Snow from like this perspective that he's like a removed figure. And then all of a sudden now you have to f- confront him in book three where yes. like, you know, they're fighting like a proper one. Now Katniss is like, oh mm. God, this is way more than I expected kind of thing. So yeah. I think in some ways Molly's, I guess Molly Codling, I was like, oh, JK, why does she do this? Why does she always try to do these puns and <laughs> alliterations and whatnot? But in yeah. some ways, her Molly Codling makes sense just from the motherly perspective, but also from the perspective that she, at this stage as well, I think someone doesn't, doesn't someone even say that they haven't yet even, they weren't part of the order before. They, like, they didn't. So maybe for her, she's still very much protective, protective, protective until she realizes they have to, but she's an important character to have because if you don't have that protection, if you don't have the logic, if you don't have the voice of reason, then they all go to war. You you do need like a voice of reason sometimes that, you know, as you said, you can't just, you know, imagine if it's the CW and they killed all the parents. Exactly. (laughs) And the thing is, she's actually doing it better than Dumbledore is because she's still at least enabling them to be around each other. Yes, she might be monitoring them a little bit extra, but it's not like Dumbledore who's completely keeping Harry and Sirius in the dark for most of the book, mm, you know, like mm, completely. Mm. But I think to not um, keep going on about that point, I did want to highlight though that I really loved um, that the film. I, I know we're not talking about the film yet as well, but there's something about the setup in the film that when I was reading mm. this chapter when they're in the kitchen and they're talking i could visualize it because it had sort of been done in the film in some ways that it was so good that this book this chapter really kind of was like oh i can see them interacting in the kitchen going back and forth it's very interesting i just thought i just thought that was a good thing that i'm looking forward to in the film to be like oh okay Mm. that at least that aspect is (laughs) has been preserved in some way but yeah. yeah. Obviously, there's continuing hints of the prophecy as well that I loved, like the drop of the weapon, the weapon, the weapon, the weapon. It's what is yeah. this weapon. But yeah. Yeah. Um. 
Next, I, I didn't uh, do any audible, uh, didn't bookmark any audible recording of this, but mm. I was laughing at Stephen Fry's rendition of uh, Creature's voice. <laughs> <laughs> when he's making the highly audible whispered muttering. Oh, you know, wow. Yeah, really Creature was quite a character, yeah. wasn't he? But, but I, was, I was really enjoying Creature's character. <laughs> He's speaking truth. He's speaking truth. If you though it's very shady truth, but he's speaking some truth. <laughs> I was gonna okay. say fanfic fanfic has really immersed me in like the world. I literally say the complexities of the noble and most ancient house of black. Because obviously for yes. the most part it touches on the Draco side of it with his mom and his family, and it's like mm. the Draco Nasissa Andromeda dynamic is very interesting, yeah. like especially post war when they're yeah. trying to like build back the the bond and it's like Draco is technically the last head of the um, the black family and you know or male anyway um and mm-hmm. it's just interesting that like I've never actually seen a fanfic where he comes to claim Grimaud place like he never comes to claim it like who would want to claim it the way it <laughs> so looks true. but it's just interesting. It's I love I love I just love that we get it a peek into a pure blood family because we have Malfoy as a representation of that in Hogwarts, but we don't actually know what that means. But now we have yeah. an actual representation of like how deep the roots go and like yeah. how much they will like to the extent they will go to, to pretty much get you off their family records because you're an embarrassment yeah. to them if you do something yeah. wrong. Yeah. So it's very interesting just to see the yeah. pure blood dynamics uh, working in the interrelations. Like you're related to Draco. You're what? Like, you know, just the, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's all yeah. very, very interesting. It's all yeah. very intricate. Yeah. Um, I was speaking to that, like the family relations, like uh, how serious was being unsympath- unsympathetic towards his younger brother. Um, mm. Especially when it had become evident to him back then that, uh, Regulus uh, regretted joining the Death Eaters. Um, so just like, you know, I'm like, Sirius can be really someone who holds grudges or if he cuts you off, he cuts you off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's just a testament to his pure-bloodedness. <laughs> yes. It's just yeah. like everyone else. But yeah, that's Have true. Have you I like read the... fanfiction fiction where Harry is a black? No, uh... I've oh, read where yeah. he might be adopted into the Malfoy family somehow, but oh, okay. not as oh yeah, I've read okay. those ones as well. Okay, yeah, so yeah. how have you read some that where he's like a uh, that one is uh, probably let's not talk about okay. it. Okay, yeah, <laughs> let's some, not review some, how deep that happens. <laughs> we'll talk it out. We'll talk about it after the show. After the show, <laughs> but I was like the setups. I love obviously the um, there's still the mystery of where did the f- twins get their money? You know, Harry's still like, oh, I'm not going to yes, tell anybody. Yeah. You know, then there's still yeah. there's obviously the setup creature in terms of like how you're mentioning him being in the stories and just to him being in the story as a house elf it's a setup for the betrayal at the end because yes, this mistreatment yeah. that he's receiving and that Hermione is forewarning serious about to be like yeah just don't treat him this way literally kind of leads to what happens at the end and then you've got the setup for for rab as well which comes mm. important to be important in book six or yeah. end of book six into book seven yeah. and then but you also when i was talking about the family tree pure blood tree, whatever. I forgot to also mm. say the pure blood agenda is being shown to being, to be flawed as well in terms of how they keep saying that they have to intermarry and everybody yeah, kind yeah, of has a yeah. squib, has a half blood, has a mud blood, has a, oh God, I yeah. think that way, but yeah. they all have the, those traits in their yeah. family, but they try to make it as if it's this perfect division, but mm. clearly the pure blood agenda is flawed because even the freaking leader of the pure bloods is, 
freaking half blood himself. So, exactly, exactly. You know, it's yeah. really, really weird. And then I love the drop of like Bellatrix being mentioned because then she becomes very important. Yes, by the end of the you know the book, yeah. and then also I love that by the end of that chapter, I think we get a mention of McGonagall. Oh no, Harry gets a idea of McGonagall being in Muggle clothes for some reason. And I'm thinking I would have loved to see McGonagall in Muggle clothes. Cause it's a brief mention. He's just sort of thinking it's like a stream of consciousness for him. And then he goes, Oh, McGonagall also passed through, uh, blah, 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 blah. But she was like, disguised. I don't know. There's some mention of like her being in Muggle clothing as they have to go out and like do some mission. And it's yeah. just so funny to think like McGonagall could have potentially been wearing clothes in the film <laughs> yeah. and we didn't get to see it because we always see her in her school robes. And I'm like, I just want to see McGonagall in Muggle clothes. Just, it's funny it because, just think of her in uh, Downton Abbey. That's the thing though. Like in Downton Abbey clothes are still pretty much like, you know. What she'd probably be wearing. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. I would love to see her in like a jeans and like, you know, something outfit. Yeah. Which also gets me to the point that, um, anyway, we'll get to it when we get to it. McGonagall's... Um, age and crimes of Grindelwald totally messing that up anyway we'll get to that Let's which is in, in um is she's mentioned oh, or she she literally up? appears in and it makes no sense because this book is set in this film was set in the 1920s and McGonagall literally said I've been working for like what 50 something 40 years whatever amount of time she says she's been working and it doesn't yeah. match up it doesn't link up it's like anyway but I think we've already <laughs> talked like Kevin Feige in that business as well <laughs> Let's keep the timeless straight. Yes. If you're going to retcon, just, you know, make it obvious. Exactly. And exactly. People are really prepared to ignore a lot of things as Very long as true. the writing is good. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. But I don't know. Did you, are we now moving on to the Minister of Magic? I, before, like, that's my last point before we talk about the Minister of Magic. Like, but doesn't it look suspicious that the Weasleys are not staying at their own house? Like, for a certain period of time. Oh, they yeah. disappeared uh, to a house or destination that's untraceable. And with the ministry looking closely at them, why does, why do something that brings attention, why, why do something that brings attention to them? Like, mm. but it, it, it begs the question, does the ministry, can the ministry track to that extent? If that uh-huh. makes sense. As in, is the ministry, because I'm assuming the, contrary to book, movie six destroying the burrow for some unknown reason i would like to think i would like to think at this point dumbledore has ensured that they all have some fidelious charm thing going on might not be mentioned but i'd like to think there might be some protections that have been made the wards around the the burrow might have been made stronger or something and arthur's movements maybe they might be getting monitored but i would like to think he's still traveling and getting into work as he might. And nobody can really track him that much. It depends yeah. how much the level of tracking they have set up for these types of situations. Considering how they did the travel from, um, Priva drive to the, to criminal place, how yeah. they're trying to, um, do everything incognito. Pretty and much. Yeah. That, well, so probably he's doing something where he travels somewhere else. Does it stop somewhere and, and then changes his routine? Yeah, out, yeah, I yeah. think because yeah. I mean, and it also depends on who's keeping track about Grimaud Place. Like this is something that was left to Sirius alone, and he would have been the only one to able to access it. Besides, maybe if Bellatrix and Assisa were able to like get around the blood magic type protections that would be in the place, they can access it or something. No, hundred yeah. percent sure on that, but I'm just saying like if the ministry is no longer monitoring where Sirius might be or doesn't even know or doesn't even, doesn't have access, then 
Yeah. I, I'm not sure how it would all work. So uh, we get to visit a new location, which is something that I really enjoy whenever we get to come. Obviously, there's some prelude things to getting to the new location, but I love the Ministry of Magic that we've always known exists and mm. people work there, but now we get to see it fleshed out and really, and they, That's it, the goes into some, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it goes into some, some, but obviously before we get into that, there's a couple of name drops uh, when they're just talking, there's a, a mention of the, of Minister Scrimgeour. Who become, oh yeah, 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 you yeah. Know, very important in book six yeah. going forward, yeah. and then um, for some reason I distinctly remember the line of Mrs. Weasley combing Harry's hair and saying, "Does it ever go down?" <laughs> like just that thing. Like I'm like, this is like a, an Audrey kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. I'm like yes, thank you, thank you for being consistent with the hair descriptions because yes, his hair never freaking goes down, and the movies it bloody well give him a. <sighs> but anyway, yes, I'll give you a moment in in film six to just go on a rant. Oh God. <laughs> we'll dedicate a rant just to you talking about the hair in book in film six. Mm, yeah, don't even talk about it. But yeah, I just mm. kind of loved the prelude, Mister Weasley being excited about being in the Muggle world. You know, things like mm. that before we even yeah. get to the yeah yeah. But I do want to compare the Ministry of Magic in the film as well, just to see how the descriptions were because yes. it seemed quite. I think I'll, re- I'll, re- I'll reread that part so that I can like you know have the image of it in my head mm. and then compare it to what the ministry from what, from past viewings, do you feel like it properly um, depicted, depicted, um, was it a true depiction of the book? I would, I would like to think it was close. I can't say true because I don't remember. I haven't watched the yeah, film in a yeah, while, but yeah, I'd like yeah. to think my memory serves me well in terms of how the feel of it, how Harry was describing the feel. It's like this dark place. Like it's, it's really weird to think like that wizards kind of have to be so underground, you know? It's, we're there to find this random, like, abandoned place to, like, build yeah. them. Because they still yeah. have to do it in a place. They can't just create a space. They have to actually use an existing space and expand. Yeah. And it's quite interesting. But I think what I found more interesting was the fountain description, the description of the oh, yes. fountain. Because yes. that takes – at first, it's very innocuous – yeah. Okay, beautiful fountain. But then you consider that the creatures portrayed there. I think Harry even mentions, I, can't, I couldn't remember the line, the way they're revering, the way the elves, the centaurs, the whatever, yes, are revering yes. the wizards. Then it shows you there's already been a problem within the, the wizarding world about yeah, this. Yeah. And, you know, it just leads to the in, like that the inequality is still in there. And I think that's why I love fanfics that touch on the post-war period of like it. It doesn't take just Harry killing Voldemort for things to change. It then yes. takes a redraw, a redress of the whole system because there's been corruption yes. already. There's been, yes. you know, inequality already. There's been, yeah. I guess you could call it racism or bloodism, yeah. whatever you want to call it, already. <laughs> you know, exactly. And I remember that one of the fan fictions that I'm reading right now. It's been 13 years post the war, but they're still yes. dealing with corruption within the ministry because there's been a power oh, vacuum. Wow, 13 like, years. 13 after. years after this, the fanfic wow. that I'm I'm reading right now is set 13. Yeah years after you've got Kingsley having vacated the role because he was fighting against the system that didn't want him to make changes and yes. now there's this minister the funny enough the minister is Comac McLagan's uh, uncle <laughs> yes, <laughs> and yes. he's in the role and he's corrupt and there's this power vacuum and there's just all these dynamics so it kind of just brings back to that men- mention of the fountain it seems very innocuous at first but it's pretty much just showing you that the wizards think of themselves as this high and mighty What's the motto that they have? Magic is might or whatever? Uh, let me open. I can't remember, but there's a motto that they have there. And yeah, but I think what what I loved more than anything, whilst you're looking for that line, 
for me, for the Ministry of Magic, was that it literally gives us a play-by-play of all the places, say for the Department of Ministries interior, but it gives us a play-by-play of the places that at the end of the book, when the showdown happens between, you know, Dumbledore and Voldemort and stuff, you've already got a layout of the place. You've already got a layout of the atrium, the fountain, all the checkpoints, how the fireplaces work, so that when the showdown happens, it's like, you have a visual understanding rather than Harry now going, oh, there was a fountain here and it was that, or there was this and it was that. It's kind of just like, boom, 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 here we go. We've already got the vacation. So, yeah, those are my points on that one. Uh, the uh, So the inscription on the on the fountain, the, it said, uh, all proceeds from the fountain of magical... No, is that the one you mean? No. I'm not sure, but I, I I was talking. I think there was a line that said "magic is might," but I don't know if that was done in oh, book no, five. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. Or um, in book seven, at, like when they revisit the ministry after um when they're polyjuicing themselves. But it's okay. It's not a big deal. Uh, I just sort of wanted to highlight that there is that that. But yeah, uh, that is a very much an ongoing theme throughout the whole book uh, in regards to how creatures viewed by the wizards. Uh, viewed lesser than, especially yes. Ambridge being um, <laughs> the way I'm gonna get into Ambridge. And we haven't, we've barely started the book, we haven't even gotten to the meat of what Ambridge does. But, um, but that's very much an ongoing theme throughout the book. People like Lupin, how they've been discriminated against that they can't even hold a job. Like, <laughs> the way he's described in the book and especially when you see him in the film you can tell like yeah like this person this person has suffered they could he could have been in a better place honestly yeah yeah but it feels like he hasn't really lived no he hasn't it's, like, like, it's so sad lived. that he gets yeah. killed as well <laughs> oh it's so sad i thought we said we're not spoiling stuff oh my <laughs> god i'm so sorry i mean <laughs> we, we definitely did not we definitely said we are not discussing Certain group of twins that might or might not. Oh yes, yeah. I apologize. I spoiled I'm something. Some type of way. But I, I feel like I, I was angry at Lupin by the time he died, but I still felt. Yeah, I, that's the yeah. thing. Uh, that's the analysis I need to make about what he does in the book. There, like yeah. in book yeah. seven, I'm yeah. wanting to see if it's a bias on Harry's part. Or it's actually uh-huh. isn't. Let's analyze it from the lens that Harry is seeing him in this space, but what is Lupin yeah. actually thinking objectively outside uh-huh. of what Harry yes. is thinking? Sure. Anyway, yeah. We'll get to that yeah. when we get. So yeah, so yeah, I don't yeah. know if you had any more points about the actual Ministry of Magic description. I don't know. I'm quick. I, oh, the only thing I said I was like, I love this description of the Ministry <laughs> of Magic, and I can't remember what the description was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it's said that Mr. Weasley is literally working in like a little broom cupboard, which is like, what? <laughs> this is ridiculous. But I guess going on to that then, I love, on, on to another location, it's a familiar location, but it's also mm. new because when they go to the courtroom, when he finally goes yeah. to the courtroom, and how shady is the ministry for trying to change the time? Because they did not want Dumbledore, like, pub, so they didn't want public enemy number one to be there for public enemy number I mean, two. Okay, let's, let's, I mean, let's just break this scene down prop that way because it heightens up, like, it just keeps heightening, doesn't it? So you've got the fact that we get in there and Harry's like, oh, this is somewhere that I've been before. But, like, yeah. as we know what it looked like in book four, that's the sad part about the film continuity. Yeah. I'm just spoiling this for you, but film. Courtroom in book four and film courtroom mm. in book five are not the same yeah. place. 
I don't think Ooh, so. Oh, okay. I do not believe so because the uh. film courtroom in book four was made to feel more cramped, more like really like intense, like everyone yeah, is in yeah, there. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's either book four people didn't really have the conceptualization of how big a wizard Gamot needs to be or yeah, whatever. Yeah, but the, yeah. when Harry goes in and says, I've been here before and now you've got this idea of like what you've seen in book four, at least for me anyway, I'm thinking, wow, it would be very intimidating to go into this room that, has chained chairs and whatnot and you you're just a 15 year old schoolboy yes. that barely yeah. did anything harmful you actually did something yeah. to save someone's life so i think that just um kind of triggers this image of like what is actually going on why is the ministry so intent on getting harry to you know come and these grown people have dressed up to come to a trial for a 15 year old how intimidating is that <laughs> and how stupid how, on the part of the people that came for exactly. this meeting because they actually say they called a fool with Zeng- with Zengamont mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah right. which is which is which is um assigned to trial trials that are like you know life and death kind of thing yeah pretty much but yeah. just dealing with yeah. this young 15 year old boy and it, it immediately oh so you know oh you, you go yeah young 15 year old boy who like performed uh like you know magic in front of a a muggle. Yeah. yeah. And for, for, you already know the tone has shifted because he describes Fudge as not being wear, as not wearing what he usually wears, the green stuff. And yeah, I know there's this formal court dress, but if it was the typical Fudge, he would have cracked a joke whilst Harry's walking yeah, in exactly. or something. But he's just like, exactly. let's get to business. You know what I mean? I, I would compare like the differences between uh, book three Fudge and... Um, because book four fudge is somewhere in between. Like he mm, mm. starts off like that, but by the end of the book, oh, how frustrating like that was that? Oh, God. So book three fudge and this fudge, like you can see the um, the widening ca- chasm, mm-hmm. chasm yep. between yep. him and Harry. That's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah. And obviously, you've got the description of Umbridge. I mean, yes, we're gonna get into her when we meet her, meet her proper. But yeah. you're just getting this description of this woman that at first we don't know it's Umbridge, but the way she's just described just is repulsive, you know, like you don't really. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Dude, did you, in some ways, is that okay? Like for you, like as in the way JKR portrayed this woman, like, is that, because I mean, in some ways Harry's looking at her. That's how he sees her. So as the reader, we see her like that. Uh, I suppose if you're thinking from the perspective is the, Author trying to influence our how we view this woman, mm. so we're already kind of on edge and guarded about whatever she might do. Or are we viewing it from Harry's perspective um, that Harry probably needs to be cautious of this person? I suppose so. Own. It's a mix yeah. of two, isn't it? It could be a mix. Yeah. Of so it depends. Of, which... She could be described. You know how some people say a Cheshire cat, like the way yeah. like a Cheshire cat yes, smiles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she yeah, could be yeah. like that, but then a Cheshire cat can be intimidating. But because it's a cat, it has less of that uh feeling about it. But she described yeah. as a toad, which is not a very good image. Man. <laughs> you know, like. And mind you, they cast Imelda Staunton, who's the. the I actually they, looked up her. her her, like I was, I think I was looking at her profile, and I uh, like like typed into Google her name and stuff like that, and I saw who her husband was. Yeah, he said Imelda, and how short she's next yep. to that man. Yeah, he's the guy from Downton Abbey. <laughs> yes, Jim Carter. Yeah, yes, the one of uh, the, the main uh, butler. Butler. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, he is so 
<laughs> like there's something about like having high- a tall man that you can climb, but literally she's got a tall man that she can climb. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Like, you want a tall man, but you don't want a tall man. Like yeah, like Jesus, wow, be you can put you. two of her, like one and maybe one and the three quarters of her, and she'll be as tall as him. No, no, I don't think I want to be that short. <laughs> Like a child next yeah, year. No, man. I don't. I don't. I don't like that feeling. I don't no. like that feeling. But yeah, I think it's very not. It's very interesting how she's described. But obviously, Harry at this moment is very, very anxious. I mean, I shan't go too much into some of the stuff they do before. But I think for me, the trigger was then when Dumbledore walks in. Like he's been described. Dumbledore has been described in the background this whole time. But now he walks in, and you can literally feel Harry saying, "The hope comes in, like for him." You know, he, Dumbledore is that anchor. But it's very short-lived because Dumbledore refuses to connect with him. And now you're questioning why, what's going on. It's interesting, like, the way we connect with other people. Like, some people find, like, touch is a good way to connect. Mm -hmm. That's how they communicate. Um, I know culture-wise, like, in the Western side, uh, making eye contact when you're talking to people, that's, you know, a sign of respect, sign of you're listening and whatnot. And coming from a culture where, um, well, I don't know if it's my, my Zimbabwean culture or what, but if I'm talking to someone, it's not like constant eye contact. Like I yeah. look at them and I look to the side kind of thing. So I don't know if my level of comfort or whatnot, but, um, but being able to connect with a human being. Yeah. Harry in that moment just wants... Dumbledore to see him, to connect with him, to feel like he's not alone, to feel like this person who hasn't viewed him as a father figure, but more like as a someone who's sort of like uh, a protector. Yep. A protector. Very much so. Who at the end of each year, um, like, says some really grandfatherly protector type-ish. Exactly. And all of a sudden, especially after dealing with the events of Book 4. Exactly. That and should have been uniting he's them. Off. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. cut off from that. Yep. And yep. in this moment, when he really needs him, he's worrying that his brand is going to get uh, confiscated. He's going to be expelled from Hogwarts, where he views it as his home. <laughs> and he's going to get uh, thrown into Azkaban. Honestly. Dumbledore. <laughs> bruh. Make it make sense, bruh. Like, you know, like, his, Dumbledore's fear of connecting with Harry, like seeing, like Voldemort seeing through his eyes. Can you imagine what that would have just done if it had been a simple conversation? It yeah. didn't even have to be a direct conversation. It could have been an no. indirect conversation. But Dumbledore is so afraid that Voldemort has taken over Harry mm. that, like, he fears that Harry will be spying. So if he fears that Harry will be spying, why not even not include him at the Order headquarters at yeah. all? Because clearly... Yeah. Voldemort will be able Ooh, to... What, we're to, what you're talking about, the Fidelis charm. Mm. Is Harry not seeing all that ish? Exactly, you know? So it's like Dumbledore, make it... Yeah, definitely make it make sense. Where are you at with that? But I think for me, besides that, Dumbledore obviously does come in and just steal the show and make them, put them, puts them in their place. I mean, he's the chief Wizengamot guy, so he would know all the laws. But for me, it's the arbitrary nature of the trial. And like from a yes. law perspective, having studied a bit of law myself. Hey, <laughs> hey. Our prosecutor, <laughs> exactly. our district attorney. Exactly. Our, our analyst Keating. <laughs> but no, the taste, it's, 
for me, the arbitrary nature of that trial is a taste of what's to come. Because obviously, in book seven, you then have them going back to the ministry and they find Magubons being tried in this very arbitrary way where they're like just being asked, oh, are you a Magubon? Blah, 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 blah. Very arbitrary nature. So it's already a taste of what's to come when the big bad, you know, in, in Voldemort comes comes to light. And then also, the line by Fudge just gave me a chill when he's like, the laws can be changed. Because... Yes, laws change, but there is a process to which they change. You don't you don't just go into a courtroom and say, We're gonna prosecute you. Oh, you've done magic on a muggle, that's that. No, it's you've done magic on a muggle. Now let's do a trial so that we can properly prosecute and see what goes on and let's do an investigation. Because I'm sure in every other trial, that's why Mr. Weasley has a job that involves him going to the site where muggle things are affected and he goes yeah. there and he like, you know, do whatever, whatever. So it's like I think for the most part, he delivers this line of like laws can change in this like very, yeah, yeah, we can do whatever we want, but it's like there's checks and balances to lawmaking and law enforcement and everything to do with protecting the laws. And he's just like the, the literally the minister of magic is willing to sink so low to prevent the truth from coming out that they're being so paranoid. So everything. And I love like Susan Bones's mom. Yeah, for, yeah. For example, coming in being sort of like a voice of reason once again that we've been talking about. We need these voices yeah. of reasons in this book. And yeah. especially when she makes light of the fact that like he can produce a Patronus, you know, yeah. it's like he wouldn't have been able to say I can produce a Patronus had he not been under such duress that he has to yeah. produce a Patronus. Is he going to just go on the street? Oh, yeah. You know, I'm producing Considering how hard it is to produce a Patronus. Exactly. he even produced a, a fully corporal Patronus. Like, why would anyone just randomly do that? Exactly. Just to scare muggles. Exactly. Actually, I'm like, honestly. <laughs> exactly. And the craziness of that time, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but then I think my final point would be, you know, just Dumbledore's deduction of how the Ministry of Magic was going to act or was going to do that, or at least his deduction of if the Dementors are under the Ministry's control, mm then how come they went to a little whinging if they're under yeah. your control? Because clearly they're not under your control because the ministry is still yeah. uh, refusing to say that they've lost control of Azkaban. They've lost yeah. control of the Dementors, you know? So yeah. Dumbledore's deduction skills kind of just makes things apparent that like you guys are just fooling yourselves. And then also I love how when he's delivering these very rational lines, he does it in a very calm, very polite, very yeah. courteous yeah. way. But when someone tries to show him some other bullshit. He's like, hey, 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 step up, step, stop, stop. <laughs> I just love it. I just love it. Anyway, yeah, that's just, it's frustrating to to find this good stuff about Dumbledore when he's in this light of like frustration, frustration, frustration. Mm, but yeah, mm, mm. that's my love about but that chapter. I really did like Dementors as well. Like, I'm like, it's kind of weird how the Ministry of Magic, um, in fact, cling to dark creatures like Dementors who they cannot fully control. And because how would you punish a demento if it's not doing what you wanted to do like very true. <laughs> very true and um and yet classify werewolves and other creatures as dark and discriminate discriminate against them with a fiery fiery kind of hatred and fear like um which as i'm saying which i don't get and then um other point was um if harry was truly the person that they think uh they were persecuted persecuting why would he cast one of the lightest uh spells ever yeah like one that is as i said one that is difficult for full-grown wizards to to cast in corporal form like yeah 
Yeah, make it true. make sense, bro. Then I move on to Umbridge. Um, I've got an uh, audible um, except that we need to play. Of course, of uh, course. this one is not as long as the last one. It's about a minute long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, minutes and fifteen long. Yeah. Uh, so here we go. Greeted these words, the witch to the right of Fudge leaned forwards so that Harry saw her for the first time. He thought she looked just like a large, pale toad. She was rather squat, with a broad, flabby face, as little neck as Uncle Vernon, and a very wide, slack mouth. Her eyes were large, (laughs) round, and slightly bulging. Even the little black velvet bow perched on top of her short, curly hair put him in mind of a large fly she was about to... Harry, the rudeness! The chair recognises Dolores Jane Umbridge, senior undersecretary to the minister, said Fudge. The witch spoke in a fluttery, girlish, high-pitched voice that took Harry aback. He had been expecting a croak. (laughs) I'm sure I must have misunderstood you, Professor Dumbledore, she said with a simper that left her big, round eyes as cold as ever. So silly of me. But it sounded for a teensy moment as though you were suggesting that the Ministry of Magic had ordered an attack on this boy. (laughs) She gave a silvery laugh that made the hairs on the back of Harry's neck stand up. Uh So, yeah, that's all I wanted to say about Umbridge and and Harry's description, as you said, like... You can't help but think, hey, Harry, come on, man. <laughs> the boy has got apt descriptions of people. Interesting. But then it moves on that this chapter pretty much moves on to one of my favorite uh, insults that not opens the chapter, but it is mentioned when Malfoy says Patronus Potter or something at some point in the in the next coming chapter. He yeah. greets him and he's like, hey, Patronus Potter or something like that. And I'm just really? like... Oh, this boy, this boy, because he would have known because he's obviously his dad would have been at the ministry. Of course, yeah, yeah. You know, so, yeah, I just kind of like, um, actually, no, it's not Draco saying it. It's Lucius. It's Lucius saying it to Harry as they leave the courtroom. Like when, so Harry leaves the courtroom, whatever, whatever. And then when him and Mr. Weasley are meeting up, then he says, Patronus Potter or something as an introduction line to yeah, meeting yeah, Harry yeah, again. I'm just yeah. thinking these Malfoy boys and their insults. Jesus Christ, <laughs> it's quite interesting. But yeah, I think you just have you know before the the the, the shit hits the fan in kind of, in kind of like going back to Hogwarts and Harry realizing that the home he's thinking is gonna be a home is a bit different. There's a bit of rare you know rare humor or lightness in the you know when they reunite and. Harry's acquitted and he's yeah. laughing. He's like, oh, you know, for people Who that acquitted? knew I was going to be. Who acquitted? We're using that lawyer return. Okay, set free. <laughs> <laughs> no, use that lawyer return. Oh, my God. But it's funny when he says, oh, for people that thought I was going to be let off, you're quite relieved. <laughs> I'm like, that is true. Because, <laughs> I mean, yeah, they were all like, yeah, you're going to be let off. But Loki, yeah, they're like, shit. Yeah. This ministry is a bit different. So, yeah, I think, I think, I have a lot of chapter comments on this chapter that we've already kind of talked about in terms of yes. continuation of like Hermione sort of saying, oh, you know, Sirius is kind of viewing you as James and all these other apps. So I don't know if there was something that you particularly wanted to highlight 
I think just uh, when they get their letters <gasps> and Ron and Hermione being made perfect. Yeah. What, like, I understand Hermione being made a perfect, but not Ron. You have got some sort of defense that you want to put up for no, Ron. No, no, no. I really don't. You know, because I don't, I don't know why he was made a prefect. I really don't, except for the fact that Dumbledore thought. Okay, here's two things. J.K.R. is the writer. Had to put Ron in action still in this book. So, what are the better way than to make him a prefect so that it can yeah. be relevant for why he would be isolated from Harry? Because J- J.K.R.'s point here, even though it might not make sense to make Ron a prefect, was to yeah. isolate Harry. Harry, in this year, has to be isolated. So the best Absolutely. way is to, yeah. first of all, have them come to Grimoire Place before him, bond, have them be prefects together, less time with Harry, things like that. So I think it's just a narrative device that was used. Unfortunately, yes, it might not make sense in the grand scheme of things, but in some ways it's not so out of the, out of left field, if that makes sense. That like, yes, by right, it should really have been Harry that would have done that yes. because he is the... And he actually does say later on that you may you might wonder why I did not make you a prefect. Yeah. yeah. But then for me though, it makes more sense to default to Ron because... Ron, as much as he is a very sidekicky character, he does have moments that he's shown up in the trio's dynamic, right? Like the chess game in book one, yeah. all the stuff he did with Gilderoy Lockhart. Well, you know, pretty much being the one that <laughs> obliviates Gilderoy yeah. Lockhart because of his wand. Yeah. Things like like just I think he he comes from a family which is highly recognized in Hogwarts anyway. So some of these decisions, if you think of as as someone who's been born into the wizarding world, yeah, exactly, that is not so obvious to Harry and Hermione. But I think at the end of the day, if you can make Harry a prefect and then have to default to a character that we know, it's either you're gonna make Neville. Or Dean or Seamus, and they're not main characters, so it's oh, really true. not true. possible. Yeah. So, yeah. in some ways, I think this was just a narrative device for JKR to isolate Harry, but not in a way that's totally out of left field. It's just more Dumbledore, if we're then to think about how he would, as a character, would have logically thought about it, just be like, oh, okay, you know, Mr. Weasley is from a respectable family, blah, 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 make him a prefect kind of thing. But yeah. I get you, like, I think obviously JKR did well to have people reacting the way they did about Ron becoming a prefect because clearly that's what we would be thinking. Like, Ron, <laughs> yes. what are you talking about? So, in some ways, I think she does well to answer her own, um, in, in some ways, what do you call it? Like, vacuum of who to make the prefect after Harry, like being the yeah. premier. But I would have loved to have had him be a prefect in some ways if there was like a fantasy go back and do this again. But have I read a story where I feel like maybe I have, but I can't really remember them. Yeah. Whenever I read fan fiction that makes two characters, male and female prefects, mm. it's almost always for the intention of love, like in terms yeah, of yeah, office. Yeah. So yeah. Here, like I remember Lily and James were made prefects in the fan fictions that I've read so that they could bond. Yeah. Draco and Hermione have been made prefects. So they, because I'm sure anyone that ships Harry and Hermione is, would have written something about Harry. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure yeah. they would have. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. not in book five, then maybe in book six, there's some, you know, thing that happens. But for me, to be honest, it's not a big deal. What is more of a big deal is Harry's mood swings in this chapter because he goes from being so jealous about Ron, then elation that he found out that his dad actually wasn't even a prefect anyway. So he's like, oh, who cares? You know, <laughs> <laughs> if my dad wasn't a prefect, which is a bit annoying because fan fiction for me has made me think J- James was a seeker and a prefect. Oh, God. Bloody well, hate. Was he not? Apparently, he was a chaser. 
Why did we think he was a snitch? Because <laughs> the snitch thing. And I'm like, but then doesn't he have his, having a snitch, doesn't that make it? Apparently he was a chaser. And I'm like, but then how would he have a snitch? <sighs> I don't know. It's very weird. Um, But either way, I think that those were my, my biggest points to say that like, Harry's mood swings are just. I love how Shekobo does actually say, why did Dumbledore not make Harry a prophet? <laughs> <laughs> you know, if there's one person they cast perfectly, it was Shakubot. <laughs> it was Shakubot. Yeah. Although the, he, yeah. the line he says in the movie was actually yeah. said differently. But anyway, I'll bring oh, it up okay. and talk about the movie. Um, then we have the, the that's when the Bogart happens after Harry's yes. trial. Yeah. And the foreshadowing with the Bogart, like uh, I was thinking more so book seven kind of stuff. Um, and I said like only nine chapters in and this book is so angsty. <laughs> Tell me about it. Tell me about it. But you know what? I was actually thinking there could be justification made for those. Like, I know I always support Ron and Hermione in canon, but I couldn't care less for them in terms of reading fan fiction about them. But <laughs> I always said, I mean, I, you know what? And you say that, and I want you to actually explore that <laughs> at some point in time. I don't know if I can go read fan fiction no. about them. <laughs> yes. I don't want you to do it now. At some point, I want you to explore why. There's no tension enough. It's only in in high school. In high school, tension. Actually, that's not even a justification because I still read Draco and Hermione fan fiction in high school. So I don't know. It sounds like whatever you you say about uh, what's his name, um, Barry Allen and and Iris. They're being. Yeah, that's true. We're giving too much away about our phantom involvement. But I was going to say, it actually makes sense for then Ron and Hermione to have had a connection because they've had this time in the prefecting when they're prefecting together outside of Mm. Harry dynamic. Mm. I'm saying that you can sort of base that as because I'd forgotten that they were prefects. So I always was wondering, like, when do they make a connection? But this is when they do because technically, in fifth and sixth year, they're prefecting together and. You know, pretty much they they have the time away from Harry that can allow them to have their own dynamic. Because for the most yeah. part, it's been mostly Harry and Ron and yeah. Hermione yeah. excluded. But now it's Hermione yeah. and Ron and Harry yeah. excluded for a bit. So yeah. no, there's this of. conversation that happens when they're trying to convince Harry to run the DA and he's asking who's going to teach it and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And Hermione and Ron just uh, like... The way they're able to not quite finish each other's sentences, but like yes. the processes, like you know, look at this dumb idiot. Like yep. he doesn't yep. get it, kind yep. of thing. Yep. Yeah, which is very but, true. You didn't get it yeah. at the moment, but yeah. anyway. Yeah. But yeah, I think then I guess you know now we get to meet Mrs. Luna Lovegood or Looney. I like, like Luna Lovegood's level of weirdness, like her prolonged laughter at Ron's joke. See, can I, I ask you? Heckling. Can I ask? I'm actually going to just ask. First, start with the thoughts because yes, we could talk about everything that happens before, but let's just mention it. Mm. Her dynamic for me is so different to the way that uh, Ivana Lynch is it, the one that plays her in the movies, the the, the actress, yeah. portrays her. Like, she's not so different, but she's different in the sense that she's more assertive, she's more weird than I expected, and her and Hermione have such a weird tension. Like, Hermione absolutely cannot stand what Luna is saying for most you of this book. in the book? In the book, oh. yes. In the, ah, okay, in the yes, movie, yes. they hardly have any tension. In the movie, ah, I yes, yes, barely yes. think that... The yeah. only thing that Hermione says about Luna is like, oh, Looney, like, trying to introduce her, and that's it, and there's... Nothing else. Nothing. But ah, yes, yes. In this yes. one, she's actually shown to be this really weird girl. 
And what are your thoughts weird. on that? Like, <laughs> I, I feel like the movie universe has like made us think she's this totally different person. Yes, yes, yeah. I think they tried to bring out the weirdness, but probably not as well as the book does in the uh, the film uh, version of it. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it, it was because I was like, she's very combative. Like, literally, like, I was like, she's not so, she's dreamy, yes, but she's very like, well, this is what I know, okay? Yes. The quibble yes. is right. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. What? But before that, though, um, obviously, we now get the reason why Sirius might have gotten himself in trouble because he cited. Draco makes the comment about something, something, your dog. And Hermione yeah. and Harry are like, What? How did he and know? Ron that? completely misses it. Yeah. I mean, or, you know, Ron is always thinking about the food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then Harry as well, not wanting to be caught with Neville and Luna when Cho walks into the carriage. You know, I had to uh, accept certain things mm-hmm. in this book. I had to come <laughs> to certain conclusions yeah. that I might not have been willing to admit to when we're reading book four mm-hmm. and with my previous knowledge of the films. Yeah. So when we come to that part, I will readily admit to certain things. <laughs> Thank God, Jesus. She's seen the light. She has seen the light. Because <laughs> you. you know what? You. The thing is, I have, I totally understand your perspective because even I was shocked. I was like, oh, wait. So really this is the dynamic that yes. the film didn't touch on and made us think yeah. it was a whole yeah. other different thing. And mm. because they they strip away, uh, without talking about the particular thing we want to talk about, but I think the key reason why we want to bring it up is because they strip away the Cedric element in the film. They Absolutely. strip that away yeah. completely. So that is why we get what we get in the films and the books are totally different. But yeah. like you said, we'll get to it when we get to it. But yeah. I think it's interesting to me that he points that Luna and Neville are the uncool people. And he doesn't mention the third person in the carriage as being problematic. And I'm like, who, 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 who's the third person in the carriage? Who's the other girl that he's? <laughs> I'm sorry, Ginny. He doesn't mention. Like, oh, he says, oh, oh he didn't want to be. That. He didn't want to be caught up with Neville and 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 Luna. And mind you, it could have just but been a narrative. Not about Ginny. He's known Ginny all. But that's what I'm saying. It could have just been more time. like he's. Mind you, I wasn't yet thinking of Harry looking at Ginny in any romantic light in this book at all. I didn't get those vibes. Little moments but, that, yeah. that, but I get the vibes whereby Ginny is now less of a. Oh, I'm so nervous around Harry, and she's like, "Well, yeah." yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about that when we get to it. But yeah. Yeah. now on to more about this uh, um, Luna chapter. I'm yeah. just gonna say quickly: the article on Sirius Black in the Quibbler. Like yeah. what? <laughs> what? <laughs> You might refresh our memories because I can't quite remember it. It is about. (laughs) Let me just bring it out quickly. So it actually probably would have been funnier to hear it as audio, but it's okay. We shall make do with a quick. Oh, so it says serious black, um, serious black villain or victim. Serious, serious black as he is painted. Mm. Notorious mass murderer or innocent singing sensation. For, for 14 years, Sirius Black has been believed guilty of the mass murder of 12 innocent muggles, blah, 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 blah. But does he? Said startingly, new evidence has recently come to light that Sirius Black may not have committed the crimes for which he, is, he was sent to Azkaban. In fact, says Doris Perkis of 18, blah, 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 Black may not even have been sent to at present at the killings what people don't realize is that serious black is a false name the man people believe to be serious black is actually stubby stubby boardman stubby boardman yep 
lead mm. singer of the popular singing group the Hobgoblins. Oh, <laughs> the oh, Hobgoblins. Wow. <laughs> and Harry just reads and he's like, "Wait, what? What is this?" And he's like, "Harry did not read any further. Fudge might have had my um no. Harry finished reading and started." Stared at the page in disbelief. Perhaps it was a joke, he thought. Perhaps the magazine often printed spoof items. <laughs> the first oh, way he stops and he looks at it in disbelief. Yes, like. yes, yes. But yeah, um, any more thoughts on that chapter? Ah, no. Oh, besides no, Harry no, seeing no. the thestrals, although we we don't get much more of a description until later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. The Sorting Hats advice is in a different... Um, yeah, it's in the following... In the oh, following okay. one, yeah, yeah. That concludes part one of this episode of the story never ends. Check out part two for more.